ever read the Dark Tower series? No. Nah. Yeah, neither have I. But <laughs> not gonna start now, huh? It's and probably not. You know, I think that that's pretty much ruined. Uh, I have a friend who swears by it, uh, Stephen Walker, my buddy from uh, college. He says that it's one of the uh, best best book series he's ever read. I think it's Stephen King. Also, it's sort of like his penultimate. Uh, series where he sort of ties all of the uh, stories that he's done together where there's a lot of overlapping pieces and uh, it's very cleverly done. Basically, it 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 is it's so well paced and incorporated. It's basically the exact opposite of the dark tower that we're going to be examining today. <laughs> it's almost like, I don't know, in this weird parallel universe that uh, that somehow we have worlds, galaxies that have collided. We have one really good dark tower, and we have one really bad dark tower. And it sort of takes me back to the days of an electronic battleship. Do you guys ever play that? Yeah. It does, yeah. That's a good yeah, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting. We're going to be going into that. A lot, of, a lot of really funky, electronic, very, you know, you got the MIDI file sounds that are coming out of this thing, so we can't wait to tell you guys about it. But first, before we do that, hello, welcome to Roll and Move, the Internet's podcast that takes a look at some of the older, some of the weirder, some of the worse on the bad side of things more bizarre board games out there we break them down and see what makes them tick my name is thomas youngerberg i'm one of the creators of rough draft games and uh yeah you know i uh i've i've, I've never played a game with this many uh this many dice-based purgatories in it before and i don't really know how to <laughs> feel like about myself right now i feel kind of dirty is how i feel right. but also with us is uh, Garrett Lively, I think this game would have actually done well to get Donald Trump involved, bring in his expertise on the electronic board game scene, and and really see what he could do. To, he just needs to make an OP piece. Yeah, he can't play. Yeah, you're not allowed to be that team because it's apparently so amazing that it would just break the game. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is um, Jeff Lee. You know. The thing I like to do on Sundays is spend a couple hours raiding tombs and ruins and then praying my sins away. Pray the sins I mean, away. that sounds like a good weekend to me. That sounds like your average, you know, Saturday night going into a Sunday. Yeah, I just do something bad, have to fight some people, get in, mm-hmm. rough some people up, and then later on I just go over to the sanctuary and I say, listen, just, I'm sorry, can I have some money? Sitting, I'll go into that confessional, <laughs> get a little holy water, get a little. That's what the. That's what that big plate full of money that is for. It's for church, me, right? That's what I'm saying. You it's for me. In, I hope. I think people are, They put people put it in. I go and I take it out. That's for me. It's it's money from the rich straight to the poor. You're you're, you're in need. <laughs> I just turn around. And I spend take. it. I become eligible for for money again. Absolutely, that's how it works. At least that's what Dark Towers taught me. So. But we're we're looking at one of these old classic nineteen. When did this game come out, Gary? This is nineteen eighty one. Wow. Okay. So this thing is. I think you're being very, a little harsh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This thing is. You know, I I guess you could say it was ahead of its time when it came out. Oh yeah. But it's yes. it's very much. It was published by Milton Bradley, and so this board game when you when you look at it, it's got. I imagine the box had to be very large because this the this has one of those big electronic centerpieces, right? That uh, sort of like when we played, the reason that Garrett was alluding to uh, Donald Trump is because one of the earlier games that we played was the Apprentice board game that has this big electronic centerpiece uh, sort of at the at the center of the board game, which it's I always love a nice gimmick in my yeah. board games. I always like, a, you know, something that is totally big, flashy, cumbersome, but, you know, the entire gameplay is built around it. So it always makes me chuckle. And we have that here. We have this huge dark tower that's in the center that your whole adventure seems around your it's 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 sort of like dungeons and dragon light that's what the art reminds me of at least it's definitely the 80s era of like um Mm -hmm. like he-man type comics you know uh it's got how do you describe it if you've ever gone to white castle (laughs) (laughs) and you looked at their logo this is exactly what their logo looks like it's it's a really good one yeah lots of browns lots of uh, it's it's, it's certain font right yeah and and they have Mm. they have the uh the little castle like when you when you use a rook piece it's got that little castle what what do you call Mm -hmm. it the tower or whatever i guess it's a tower yeah, those little the dark tower. things that the, those little squares <clears throat> yeah so it's 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 like if you look at it you'll know it's very faux medieval 
Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, and I like that you're alluding to He-Man. He-Man actually came out in 1982. This this board game is 1981, so it's very much. I think this is right when Dungeons and Dragons was really starting to take off. But if if you've ever played it, it's not a very accessible game, right? If unless you have someone who is a storyteller who can sort of facilitate the experience and allow it to happen, mm-hmm. uh, you really wouldn't have a means of playing it. And so there were a couple of games that came out in this uh, during this time that had that sort of barbarians, elves, and you know tra- traveling adventures, get the keys, and you know fight the dark forces sort of uh, feel to it. There was another one. There was another one that was in. Teddy's, uh, our my good friend Teddy Baldwin, friend of the, friend of the podcast, uh, he always had a board game covered, right? Mm-hmm. And he had your classics in there. He had Operation. He had uh, Connect Four. He had all these other. And there was one in there. I think it was called Shadow Gate or Shadow Shadow Keep or something like that. Mm. Uh, but it was it, it also had this exact same art style. I feel like that there are just. So many games from the 1980s that had that, you know, barbarian, dwarf, you know, your classic, uh, your classic fantasy mythos, and they, it's like the same artist just got a shit ton of money because he did the <laughs> art for every game during this decade. It's, uh, I think it's just interesting. Like, look at the era up. before, like the 60s and 70s. If you look at, like, let's mm-hmm. say Disney movies and how they did their animations. And then it got a little bit slightly mm-hmm. grittier. It's still kind of cartoony, but like slightly grittier versions in the 80s. And mm-hmm. then 90s went full tilt cartoon. So like it's kind of an interesting transition between a couple different art styles, I think, when it comes to you know mass entertainment media. Uh, I, think, I think you're right. Yeah, so Bob Pepper was the artist for Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. He, he's, got, he's got the style. He did the cover, I believe, for A Scanner Darkly. And he did a couple couple novels, but yeah, he's got the Dragon Master series. He's got Dark Tower. Yeah, the art's kind of smudgy. Um, it's kind of if like- you ever go into like a used bookstore, go to the paperback aisle and like find the most crinkled up, like <laughs> '80s pulp fiction where it's you know it's your your D and D stories, your really hulked out warriors on it, and actually an even better comp: find an old version of The Hobbit. That was like somewhat animated. It is that art. Whatever art you have in your head right now, when you're thinking of like the Tolkien universe (laughs) for like a for an illustration that was done in the '80s, it's that. It is to a T. Cool. When you first led me to the uh, old used book store, uh, talking about art, I was thinking about you know those bad romance novel arts, and then you yeah, then you led me, (laughs) then you led me to this. So. Same thing. Yeah, it it is uh, it is it is something else. It's very, very much a a piece of its time. Um, and what's what also surprised me? I'm going to lean in. I know we don't usually talk about the ratings this early, but this is very well regarded online. Yeah. Would you say that that's that's an accurate statement, Gar? Oh yeah, it's a it's a cult classic for sure. Uh, and I, I think in some reasons for nostalgia and innovation, as far as you know, mm-hmm. it came out in the '80s, and that's pre this renaissance of of euro games and and really focusing on mechanisms right Um, and you know if you compare it to say monopoly and the game of life and sorry and trouble you're you're you have a whole new experience with this and i you know if you kind of look at this as the grandfather of the ameritrash you know world that we have today it's there's a i think there's pretty good reason or at least you can at least trace the logic that people rate this so highly or regard it so highly is you know it's definitely dated now but you can you can definitely look back and see why this is like direct lineage uh, and directly led to to the games that we enjoy today yeah before i want to touch on kind of the era part of it but i want before we do that maybe we can go into you know what's in the you know you guys know i'm getting at the box box the box it's a huge box it's a big box yeah it very very high sh- shipping i was checking this out on ebay we'll, we'll, we'll pull it up but it's like 45 dollars to ship this bad boy jeez <laughs> uh so open this bad boy up and you have first and foremost a let's see here i think a 50 page 52 page manual 
Yeah, 52-page manual. So, what's important to know about this manual is that half of it, about half of it, is dedicated to setting this up. It's almost like a Lego instruction book. You've got, you've got these four quadrants that you're going to place in this huge circle and uh, to construct the board. You've got this huge, basically a computer, and you're going to sit that in the middle of the board. That's your dark tower. And that is the mother, the mother brain of the game. It's going to do all the calculations for you. Most of the game is played on the tower panel. Uh, and you're doing a little bit of upkeep on the, on the outside of it. But for the most part, the, the computer tracks where you are, what you're doing, and whether or not you can proceed to different areas of the board. So it's, it's very interesting, and we'll talk about that more. But suffice it to say, you have a huge computer sitting in the middle of the, um, middle of the board, shaped like a castle. A tower, as it were, with a little screen that's going to display some information. You have the four quadrants of the board. Each are pretty much identical, except for the different colors of the buildings. They're going to have four buildings on them and a fifth uh, home base, basically, where each player is going to start. And then each of those quadrants is divided by a little frontier area. So it just looks like four slices of pizza that have kind of been pulled apart. And you got uh, that's your that's big your slices board. too. Yeah, big slices. Uh, you have <laughs> New York the, slices. Yeah. New York slice. Huh? A little pepperoni on it, huh? <laughs> when you have, I, that's what you could say the buildings are, right, Gary? You could probably call that pepperoni. Those are pepperonis. Yeah. What would you say the what, any mushrooms on there? Uh, maybe the dark towers slot. Just have one little mushroom that you can pick off down there. Uh, no yeah. crust. Crust. The dark tower is that little table that you guys ha- got in the pizza. The boxes. ottoman. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the middle of the pizza. To to keep the uh to keep the box from getting soggy. And then your ponds, maybe the uh the little pepper. <laughs> the little pepper. What, what kind of pepper is that? The little green pepper. You know, what like banana about? pepper. Yeah, yeah, pepper, yeah. Banana bell pepper. pepper. Yeah, you get the little banana pepper on there. Uh, but yeah, in the original, so we, 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 in the original game, you have, I think these are miniatures actually. So you get four little miniatures of different characters. You don't really have any variable player powers or anything like that, but, uh, you're going to be moving this from your home base and going, you're going to go travel counterclockwise around the land, around the foreign kingdoms. And you're going to collect the three keys that allow you to gain entrance into the dark tower and, uh, siege it. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it as far as what's in the box. There's no dice or anything. There's no cards. Mm-hmm. All that random element stuff is going to be handled by the tower itself. Oh, one other thing. There is a dragon uh, token that you're going to place around the board, which is very, very important, as we'll see later on. So important. Each each player gets a little <laughs> tracking, tracking pad. Uh, it, you, you're going to insert pegs into it to just kind of keep track of, do your upkeep, keep, see how many units you have left, see how much money you have, uh, how much food you have whether or not you have certain items. So it's basically just like a little stat sheet that you keep track of all your character attributes on. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all that's in the box. Uh, main goal is circle mm-hmm. around the board, collect a right. single key from each of the foreign kingdoms. So mm-hmm. basically every area that's not your home area, you're going to go into, wander around aimlessly, find a key before right. you can progress to the next area. Okay, so this ties into why I said that there were so many dice-based purgatories that are actually present inside of mm-hmm. this game. So the what, you you start off in your your own land and you can the, you're traveling and you're constantly losing troops, right? Mm-hmm. You are either getting into battles and you're losing troops that way, or you can go to a ruin or a tomb and you can explore it, potentially fight brigands. You're going to be fighting brigands no matter what. Unless you're not fighting brigands and absolutely nothing happens. And then you have to wait for an entire revolution of players to go for you to be able to make your next uh, make your next. <laughs> you could also get attacked it, by a dragon or yeah, and suffer you, from and the lose, plague. Lose half of your troops there. So or you're you constantly. Can, you, you're talking. You forgot some of the most important stuff, Tom. You can get lost and return back true. to the space you were just on. Right. You can suffer from the plague and lose two of your units. Right. You can uh, you can go to the bazaar and maybe buy some stuff. Purchase some so items. keep keep in mind that all of these little sections, like the four quadrants of this world, the four kingdoms that you start off in, mm-hmm. they're made up of a bunch of different pieces. Normally, you're only able to move one space at a time, and in the span of moving one space, you could possibly uh, lose. 20%, 30% of your soldiers, if not 50% if you invo- encounter a dragon. Mm-hmm. And so 
if, no matter what your momentum is, let's say that you're trying to go to the kingdom next to you, you want to cross over the frontier, you could lose most of your troops doing that, and then you have to double back and go to the sanctuary, pray at the sanctuary, swipe some stuff from the offering plate, get a little extra money while you're there, and <laughs> replenish like six troops, and then you're on your way out the door again before you get attacked again. You're moving at one space at a time. We had to make a house rule in which we were able to move two spaces at a time just to try and speed up the game. And guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> we couldn't speed this game up at all no. because the... Well, I was I went to the kingdom, uh, Jeff's kingdom, right? My little next door kingdom, searching for the brass key. We played for about thirty five minutes, right? Thirty five minutes, maybe forty minutes, or we're sitting there moving around trying to make this thing happen. I didn't encounter a single key. Probably you are stuck. You're stuck. You and the worst part is, is that you don't know where the keys are, right? And I was telling this to Jeff earlier. The nice thing about like drawing cards from a deck right, is that you are, for every card that you draw that is not your card, you are diminishing the deck and you are increasing your chances of finding the uh, whatever you're looking for in that deck, right? You're looking for the King of Hearts, you keep drawing from the, from the pile and you're going to increase your chances and your likelihood of finding that King of Hearts. What's actually horrible about one of the main requests that this game has of you is that because you are inside of this, everything is dictated by this electronic device that was made in 1981. Are you going to honestly tell me that they had the programming wherewithal to make it the uh, the probability slightly increase? Yes, as, that's honest, as the game that's goes not that on? hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they did that in 81. No way. Uh, I don't think that Thomas. I, we I went to the moon in that. the '60s. I, I'm pretty sure that the probability Look, thing isn't I don't that think, difficult. I don't think Milton Bradley has the budget of NASA. I think that I think that this that they there from the way that we played, there was no increasing probability of finding this thing. I refuse to believe that they programmed it in the game. Whether they were capable of it or not, they didn't. So I, the amount of wandering that you have to do in order to find the keys is it's it's insane i would love to see what the probability they assigned finding the key was so i have a couple um i think contrary views to tom so uh i will say that they pr i agree with you they probably didn't program something like a deck mechanic where you know you're changing the odds but there are trade-offs to both of those things for example you know in a in a normal deck if you only pull good things you can expect bad things to happen later um, so the odds kind of change and you know, that's, that there's a trade off. It's good or bad. Sometimes you want things to happen early in the game versus later and it may affect you in different ways. Um, but in this case, you're always kind of equally kind of have the equal chance or you have the same chance every pull to get a, a good or bad, depending on the probability, um, if that makes sense. So it's always, let's say a bad thing always happens 10% of the time or whatever. It's always going to be 10%. So, you know, you kind of have a little bit more information every turn. Um, if, if that's the way it's, it's programmed. So, I will say this, Tom, uh, I think the strategy of wandering around trying to find the keys was probably, in my opinion, the least optimal strategy. And I think I think you were trying to find the key by wandering. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think once I've realized that you could find a key by going to ruins, I was only going to ruins. Because in my mind, um, so on the board, if you actually look at how the board's set up, the one of the two, I think it's a tomb that's on the right, is situated two spaces away from from Bazaar and two spaces away from Sanctuary. So mm -hmm. basically what you can do, and I, th I think the problem with the game is mostly it's it's hard to get, uh, get started in the game. Mm -hmm. Once you kind of have enough soldiers, in my opinion, you can go to a ruin and pretty easily win fights. And then you, if you're winning, you, usually if you win battles within ruins, yes, some, nothing could happen, uh, but you can also just get gold or you can get gold and a key or you can get other stuff. So the but, way, so the way that I was trying to focus was, when I had enough soldiers, I would go to the ruins and attempt to fight because you can always get a key from from fighting, and you have a higher probability to fight in a ruin. So you have a higher chance of getting something happening. And then mm -hmm. if I'm if I got wrecked, I'd only have two spaces to go to sanctuary and then pray, and I can go back and fight again. So I'm basically gambling on house money uh, every time I go to the sanctuary and replenish. And if I'm way ahead and I don't need to go to Sanctuary, then instead I'll tra change my strategy if I have a lot of gold. And I'll go to the Bazaar and I'll buy more units and go back to the Ruins. So I was essentially farming and the Ruins at that point. Um, and just, I just kept getting units and resources. Now, 
will I say that the game runs quickly? No. I mean, <laughs> like, obviously, we were, I, I was at the ruins multiple, multiple times. But I did feel like by the time we kind of stopped playing the game uh, that I was in a really good spot. I felt like I had enough warriors and enough gold. Um, and the one thing that we kind of didn't explain to the listeners is how the battle mechanic works. So if you win a fight, you essentially half the enemy units. If they win a fight, they um, they take away one of your units. Now, it doesn't really so like tell you... A, a single a single contained fight within the overall battle. Correct. The battle is going to take place over a series of fights. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. So, um, so obviously, the more... It's still the same case. If you bring in more people into a fight, the higher the likelihood that you survive the fight. Um, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter all that much how many brigands they start with because um, they're just going to keep having... Uh, if you if you win, you know, and you just get more chances at, at winning or more chances at rolling a half, um, basically, if you have more soldiers to start with. So, like, it, it's not that intimidating when you come into a fight with the same number of people, because when they win, they take off one. When you win, you take off half. Um, so it just becomes uh, one of those things where once you kind of win one or two fights and you get and if you get gold out of it, you can just get kind of stronger and stronger. And my problem with this game is twofold. It's one that getting started is super super difficult um and then you know because i think thomas you had an issue where you hit dragons immediately and then you're behind and you couldn't really start fights you couldn't purchase anything you had to go to the sanctuary the sanctuary gets you in a place where you can fight again um but you're still at odds like if you still lose and you still have to go back to the sanctuary so you're kind of in a weird spot um if you do get ahead i think you you can kind of stabilize a little bit um but it does still take a long time like thomas mentioned we had to take two turns in between uh, I felt like that, you know, if we didn't have our house rule of moving twice, it would have just taken even longer. Um, I, I don't think the game is difficult by any means to to kind of get a strategy down. I think it's just it's just going to take a really, really long Do time. Do you think your strategy would have worked if we didn't have the house rule implemented? Because you, if because right, the, the spaces are two away. So the one the reason that it worked so well for you was because you were able to go from the ruins straight to the sanctuary with nothing in between. Yeah, I think it's certainly less efficient, right? Because I don't have to potentially waste a turn on a move in between. But I would argue that most of the moves are um, are null moves. Um, I, I don't know the probability, but my guess is a lot of the in between moves don't do anything, and that's where it could feel really frustrating for the average player if you are just kind of wandering in in um in the ether trying to go in different directions you could get lost you could actually fight brigands and get a key maybe so i think there's a trade-off there too tom like if you um if i did move one space and i did happen to go into a battle i would want a battle if i'm already strong because then you get a chance to get a key um but you know again you could get lost you could fight a dragon you could whatever so it just kind of depends um in our case because we were moving two spaces i never fought any dragons that i didn't need to um, so that did make it easier in my opinion for that strategy. But I think overall, if, even if we were moving single space, that's probably what I would aim to do is focus on that right side. And the other thing too, is that, um, once you're done and you've collected a key from the ruins, I, you're, I think you're again, one or two spaces from the frontier, which right. is where you need to move on to the next, uh, to find the next key in the next region. So it seemed like if you could just kind of focus your strategy on the right side tomb, uh, you'd be able to kind of get everything you needed done. And if you, once you achieve that, you can move on to the next thing and kind of repeat that strategy. So that's the way I was trying to play. Um, I think it felt like it was uh, like a really, really poorly built engine, but was an engine nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. The, the engine just gave itself to so many like false, like for a game that's supposed to be about adventure and discovery and dragons and action, I, I cannot tell you how disappointing it is to go to the ruins, hear this super long wind-up, this creaking door open where the sound effect is literally seven seconds long, and then for just nothing to happen. There were so like there were so many things that were detracting from the experience that I know that they were trying to provide with you move to a space, nothing happens, or you move to a space, dragon strikes, and you lose half your troops, and then you're running back to the sanctuary that you just left. There was, I felt like momentum was so hard to get a hold of in this game that it was just going to drag it out. But that's that's me and Jeff. Garrett, where do you fall? Yeah, I I think I probably uh, more on the Jeff side. Although I will say, just kind of, I I think moving one space is a little bit more detrimental because not only right. is there the dragon and the, the battle, but you're, you're going to lose troops that way. You're also going to have to be sent back to the space you were on sometimes. And that is 
that sets you back two turns, three turns potentially, four, you know, however many times you get sent back. But I think in general, over the long run, you know, playing the odds, Jeff is correct. You you want to focus on the tombs and and use the sanctuary to your benefit. One other note, I I do so you know I was reading some of the forums and stuff, and most people seem to think that the battles aren't really a coin flip. It's actually looking at how many troops you have versus how many troops they have. And you're, you're more likely to win a single skirmish within the overall battle, depending on who has more of those troops. So if you start to build up, if you start to amass an army of, you know, 30, 40, 40 guys, you're going to, you're going to win those fights almost always. So I, I, I think some of the strategy is obfuscated by the the math that's going on in the computer. And I, I think that's one of the great great things about board games is generally you can see how that's happening. Like you can see yeah. a deck of 40 cards. You can see a dice has six sides. And you can roughly, maybe not accurately, guess kind of what your odds are to do something. Whereas with video games, you know, you're playing like a... If you're playing like, you know, Risk of Rain or, or a roguelike or, you know, super... I don't know. What's the... Uh, Binding of Isaac, any, any of those games where it's like just like calculating odds, and that's why you need a computer. You, you you know you just you're like okay this is good you get a feel for it oh this is good this is great you know I, I really like having this item because I feel I feel good now I feel overpowered now, and I think one of the issues with this game is that it's all hidden behind a computer screen. And so you're not able to, you're not like, Oh, I won the battle. Okay, great. Just my, I have this really, I probably have this really strong guy that's uh, rallying the troops, but really it's just like, all right, you've got 30, they've got 10. You're probably going to win this. Yeah, exactly. But you don't know that. Yeah. You're not, you're not digging into the specifics like you would like, I can't tell you how many times I've played pandemic and thought, Oh, we need to cover um, this many. We've quarantined this many cities. There's three more. So if an epidemic comes up here, uh, which one are we okay letting go uh, if there's an outbreak? Like you can kind of plan um, for all your contingencies, and I think that's what a lot of people really like about strategy games when it comes to board games. So yeah. this is, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about what's in the box before I put um, put forth another thought was like this is absolutely I think ahead of its time, um, and we all know that. It, you know, I this is something that I would expect um, or kind of be shocked to see even in the '90s and. Um, I was telling Garrett before we um, recorded, even I think before we really started playing an artist was, um, you know, you saw that a lot of board games were starting to dabble in this. Thomas, you were already alluded to, uh, you know, Electronic Battleship, there was Electronic Monopoly. Um, and then, you know, then video games kind of took off and it was like, why would you kind of halfway do a board game um, where kind of the beauty of the board game is, um, are these things like, you know, in person and player interaction and blah, blah, blah. And then um, versus like, you know, if you wanted to do more complex things, you can just do them in a video game. And so there's beauty in both. And I think kind of this melding between is kind of this weird gray um, area where like, yeah, like you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but you also couldn't do all these things um, with this level of complexity if it was in board game form. Like if it told you, here's how you'd crunch the numbers, like you would hate that. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, I, I totally get that it's it can be really frustrating when you're not sure and you don't get complete visibility into it, but it's kind of the same way when you're like exploring a brand new, you know, RPG or something. You're trying to figure out what's good, um, you know, what's abusable in the game. I think it's not not too dissimilar. Um, it, like I just imagine if this game was just rule based and you had to just follow the rules, you wouldn't be able to finish. Uh, like, I th- mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think true, but also at the same time, like kind of what I was talking about with pandemic. Like you can get it. Like you don't know that you know those those epidemic cards are really what's going to trash you just from reading the rules. But when you start playing, you you start yeah. to see that that is the case. And then you're like, okay, I know that there's only four or five or whatever right. difficulty you're on in the game and this you have no idea because it's a computer just calculating that stuff for you so once you i think there's a second step that like once you get the feel for the game with with most you know board games that are analog you can you can take a visual look at what is happening and and see see those things and the issue with the digital game is that if you're if you're relying on those to form a strategy, which a lot of board gamers do, you know you wanna you wanna be efficient. You wanna be able to have the best strategy, and that's usually how you win the game. It's harder to do that 
and so it takes longer to get a feel for it, especially since we're, you know, as humans really bad yeah, at Yeah, it's just like in this, in this case with Dark Tower, it's like input, output, and there's a black box. Literally, almost exactly. literally a black box. And, exactly. Um, and, you know. Just, and, and you're like, okay, did I lose because I was on the tomb space? Or would, I, would my odds have been better if I was yeah, on the right, exactly. right And field? so yeah. I was, you know, what happened with me was I lucked into the chance that I ran into a, um, a tomb I think in, in my in my case, it was just I happened to figure out my strategy because of what I needed to do, which was, okay, I, I'm going to go to this tomb because I, I have nothing else to do and I want to kind of get more gold. And then if I win and got keys, I'm like, cool, now I know I can get keys and stuff uh, and I know I'm very strong. Or the opposite is if I get wiped, I'm like, well, I need to go to the sanctuary. Oh, cool. The sanctuary is only two spaces away. Or if I'm at the ruin and I happen to key, get a key, I'm like, cool, now I can move on. Oh, nice. The frontier is only two spaces away. So like... In that case, I just kind of stumbled into, I kind of like was like testing different things and I just happened to stumble into what I felt was a like decent strategy or um, process for me. Whereas like I saw Thomas, you were trying to move around and move about and find the key. And obviously it was really frustrating because in, in that case, it was like, it felt like every turn was either detrimental or didn't do anything. So then because we don't we don't know the probability of like, yeah, what is what's the probability of someone appearing in the tomb right. versus someone appearing right. while you're walking? It, around. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and like Garrett mentioned, it's because you don't see like if it was a deck of cards, you'd see like, OK, yeah, I know in that stack of 50, 10 of those are bad. 20 of those are nothing, right. blah, blah, blah. But in this case, you're just like, let it you're just at the whim of, of the computer. So like because I was watching you kind of have um, some like you know, what would be bad pulls in a, in a card game, I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't try the move about and explore strategy. Uh, so I never went for a scout and I never, I, I knew, I didn't really even need to move except for moving into a new frontier. Um, so, so just to kind of bolster everyone's point, they are remaking this game. Uh, I don't know. Have you heard currently? about this? Yeah. Have you all heard about this? You like, told me earlier, no. but yeah, I don't think. So they're, they're remaking this game. It was out on Kickstarter, I think earlier this year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, earlier this year, and it's supposed to be coming out in February. Return to Dark Tower. They got Rob Daviau and Isaac Childress to help design it. So the designer of Pandemic Legacy and the designer of Gloomhaven. Nice. Oh, jeez. To and basically, when I'm looking through it, I I don't I, I'm not super familiar with the rules, so I I I haven't read the rule book or anything like that. But they they do have a digital app. But basically, they they're using the tower more like a dice tower. So as you're increasing the danger, you're putting in these little skulls into the tower. So nice. you have like a, you have a physical you have a tangible feeling of like how much you're increasing the danger by. Um, and at a certain point, like you'll you'll see if those skulls come out, I believe, and if you'll take damage or if you'll lose if you'll lose units or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you can kind of see like, oh my God, I've, I've put like 45 skulls in here. You know, yeah. I, I'm going to be toast if this comes out. It's almost like Jenga or, or you know, you're, you're really pushing your luck. Or to, like a bag. To, it's like yeah. a bag mechanic. And so you adding that tangible feel. And, and additionally, they made it so that it's an app on your phone. And so you actually see their deck of cards that the, the enemy is drawing from. So you can, you may not, you know, your first playthrough know what's going on, know, know what's in that deck, but you see that they have a deck of cards and you, you have a general feeling and it, it all just kind of pushes it towards that more tangible feeling, that more analog feeling yeah. that you mm -hmm. get in a board game. See, scenario. I love that because like, you know, I, I can't necessarily fault dark tower for attempting to do something like that here. Sure. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, the main the main faults that I have with it are just the end end result of the players feeling like there's no control. And, you know, in this case, like, um, you know, I would rather have a fully dedicated, fully dedicated board game or a fully dedicated video game. And, and, right. this, and it seems like to me this is kind of a meld of the two and it doesn't quite hit on either um, note that well. You know, I would, you know, obviously if I'm going to play... Uh, a really complex game and I want, don't want to crunch all the numbers there, then yeah, I'm going to move to move to playing a, like an actual video game. And the opposite is true. Like if I wanted to play, um, you know, a game where, you know, aside from setup, you know, it's not too complicated or I can learn the strategy or I can get better um, because I know all the, um, all the results or all the outcomes, like then I would rather play a board game, a strategy game. So, you know, this, this does meld the two together. Um, and and I think that you know that's that's what, that that's its biggest drawback is that like you, you just it is this literal black box. And yeah, you just don't know I, I think it's important to know you know. But at the time of this coming out, 
the video games that people could play were non-existent. Pong. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, yeah, but it was it was like Pong or Donkey Kong. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's like stuff where you're moving. Yeah. It's right. It, it's right. almost it's almost the more analog of the two, right? Like it's it's more you yeah. just it's like almost a dexterity. Test. No, I agree with you, and so that's why for me, um, I don't know if I can dock it for attempting to do that. It, sure, because yeah, of the era, yeah. you know, Absolutely. and it's such it's such a cool era piece. Like I, you know. Not you know even other games that people took home like the '90s were big for family type board games like all the Hasbro, Mattel, whatever board. I mean, right. m- m- we say '90s, but a lot of them are even earlier than that. Um, and they didn't even attempt to digitize any of that. Um, and yeah. those are easy to digitize. Like it's easy to do uh, electronic battleship. Um, people don't buy it because it was more expensive or it was kind of unnecessary. But you know, it's easy to kind of do some of that. This is really impressive. Like this is like. Yeah. There's a lot the, of logic the in the game. It keeps a lot of it keeps tallies of everything uh, in terms of your gold or whatever. It keeps tallies of um, all the things that you've gathered. Like that's really impressive to me. And to come in the a box, pro- you know, like that's nuts. I I'm I'm with you that the programming is impressive. For example, there's a lot of things that this board game did that were very right. Uh, I love the idea that you can haggle prices and you can try and bring <laughs> right. them down and you can when you go to the bazaar to buy more stuff that you can try and talk them into a deal and risk getting kicked out. That's some great risk reward management. It's very impressive that they were able to calculate more of those percentages into the into the tower. Uh, but for everything that it does right, I just feel like that there are two things that it completely misses the ball on. Why on earth, when you are incorporating and trying to take D&D elements and put them into this new this game, would you remove, like, dice, for example? Like, the, the feeling of rolling a dice, I feel like, in order to calculate your odds of winning in battle or something along the lines, is so much more satisfying than anything that it, that could be brought forward from sort of like an electronic centerpiece like the Dark Tower. Yeah, but this uh, is what made you discover that. Like they didn't have anything to base compare it off out. Of yeah. before yeah. before that. So, so you're right that that is what we the conclusion we have come to. But this, I mean, this is honestly what has led us to that conclusion. Yeah. No, like are are you saying that like the dice rolling mechanics in like D and D was it, it comes? No, I'm saying how did how did you how know would you know this was bad? This was bad com- yeah. in comparison because there would be nothing. You know, now we can say, oh look at Dark Tower it didn't work, but. What, before Dark Tower, you can't say, "Oh, electronic game, electronics in board games is bad." You could say that easy with people who've been playing D anD. d People have been rolling D twenties since, right? Like but the they don't, they don't know that digitizing it would it be a bad cool. thing. Yeah, right, right. But I'm saying that after you digitized it and you played it, maybe if you're playtesting, you go, "Actually, I think it might be more fun to incorporate dice mechanics working with the tower rather than putting every abs every piece of." Uh, conflict resolution inside the tower I, itself. I, I, I would I would argue that it, you were definitely like if you're the designer of this, you're definitely blinded by how cool this piece of technology is to Yeah, and to I think, think user about. testing in the eighties is so, like it's right. so easy now because it because we have the internet, but you know then I, I, I mean I, I agree with your conclusion. Yes, dice are way more fun Agreed. to chuck and, but and it, to see to see them spinning and you, you kind of feel like you have a control control of it. What was the game we were talking about where like you know, I think there was a game where we were pulling cards and we just said it would just be so much better if you would roll dice because it doesn't feel deterministic because you mm-hmm. are rolling the dice. And I, you're right. That conclusion is correct. But, I, you know, I, I don't fault them for giving this a shot. Yeah, to, especially to when they're a pioneer, it. right? If they're piloting it and they're the first ones to do it and there's nobody else to compare it to. It's like, you know, obviously looking back, you can be like, well... Um, the eight track was bad or, you know, the, you know, the DVD TV combos are bad, but like, you know, at the time you're like, well, we kind of have to figure it out. And it's not like this is Google plus they already had Facebook and yeah, look, I, 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 I'm fully aware that, you know, they're, they're trying out new stuff here and I give them credit for like how nice the tower is and the stuff that it's doing, but it's like, there, there are certain decisions like, you know, deciding to put the, the deciding to make the the Yugo or the DeLorean doors a certain way that like opens up, right? It's cool. I get why they did it. It's still bad, right? It's still sure. bad design. Uh, and and that's, that's the way that I look at it is that even though I, I'm not asking them to possess foresight, what I am asking them to do is to ask hard questions when they're designing it and saying, is this really better than dice-based mechanics, I, which they totally had access to at the time. Yeah, I think... The, the reason why they did it this way was to simplify a lot of complexity. And the trade-off when you do that is going to be visibility. I mean, that's just how it works with, you know, putting everything into a computer or a black box. So, like, you could, you're right, you could 
pull out the haggle mechanic, you could and roll a dice. You could pull out um, the sanctuary, and then you might have complex decision trees about when do you fight brigands, when do you, how do you right. know how many brigands come out, how do you know who wins so like, each fight. But just imagine how long that would take. I mean, um, you know, that would be like. That, that would be insane levels of complexity. That I think I think in this case they probably wanted to go with something that felt like it was a complex game but was accessible. So that's why they put it into a black box. And in their minds, they're like, a lot more people can play this. We can get it on a lot more shelves and a lot more people's um, collections. Um, but you know they're not going to know what's happening and they're just going to trust that the black box does what it does. Um, and I think that's probably the the decision that they came to, right? Like. Like, because if we break out all, like, either, if you think about it from their perspective, either they do it like this, or the alternative is they have a huge rule book with all these different things, and they can either leave all the stuff in, or take some of that. Like, imagine if they took out Haggling, or they had to take out a Tumor Sanctuary, or they had to take out um, the Dragon. They could, but if they wanted to include all that stuff, and add that depth into the game, and add that level of complexity... You're just gonna not. You're gonna get people that can't follow and play the game if they didn't have this this computer. And I think that's where that's where it comes it's, in. As far as complexity and that sort of stuff goes, we're already looking at a 50 page rule book, right? Like, and some of that stuff is assembly. Some of that stuff is so that's already we we have a certain barrier of entry now. Yeah. Uh, I, part of me wonders if like if really yanking some of the uh, yank, yanking some of the clunkier designs that have been put inside the black box and putting them in dice form would really be that much of a cost. Well, so, okay, so here, here's where I'll say you, if you would be 100% justified. If the probabilities are not changing throughout the game, if yeah. you, so like, you know, if think about playing D&D, you have to reference your chart sheet. You're like, oh, I need to add two before I double it, or I need to mm-hmm. double it and then add two. You know, making all that math, can really add like just a little bit of math, but then changing it and having it be dynamic really, really adds a lot of complexity to it. And that's fine for people that want to play D and D. Now let's say you're a D and D player and you've got this game and you're like, I'm the one that read the rule book. And then I show it to you, you know, it took me 10 minutes to go over the rules with you. And then we were able to play right. and you're able to, you're able mm-hmm. to parse it. Yeah. It took me a long time to get it. But if like we go back to that dice system where it's like, all right, you're on your third key. So that means your odds of coming into an encounter, you need to roll this D 12. Um, and then now, I, I think that, I think it's a matter of meshing the two. I think that like you leave the chances of an right. encounter I to think the tower versus the combat, which you can incorporate dice rolls I think that the haggling could even stay in the tower if you wanted to keep it in the tower. I'm saying that the the delegating responsibilities as far as when you're dice rolling versus when you're relying on the tower would make for I think a smoother gameplay and probably a more a more fulfilling gameplay as as well. Uh, I, I there's so for as impressive as the dark tower is and as impressive as a as a piece of programming as it is, I feel like. I feel like it's it's a basket that's trying to hold too many eggs that that would that would be better served and better better placed elsewhere in other mechanics' hands. I think you're right, but I I think the logic that gets us there is different. I think I think they I have no issues with them going for it here. Yeah, I just feel like if they were like if they weren't going to budge, like like if I was the creator of Dark Tower and I was like I want this fully immersive. Right. game with all these different side experiences you can haggle you can fight with dragons you can go into a sanctuary and pray but they won't help you if you're already rich yeah you know you you have to go through all these lands and collect all these things um and then eventually you have to you know culminate to this big boss um i think if they were to switch to dice space and they still wanted to reach you know the the players that aren't at the level of wanting to do D and make it more accessible then I think it would just make it to where it's too complex for for that. I think the problem is like you can't have it all. Um, and so if you wanted to, if they either, you know, market this or pitch this to people that are already into complex games, and then in that case, I agree they don't need the they don't need the dice tower, or um, they have to simplify it enough to where they can reach their target audience without using the. Um, the tower itself you know what i'm saying so like if if you're pitching it to like eight and ten year olds which they eight and ten year olds can play this game um i i think that then you need the tower um otherwise those kids aren't going to be able to go through and understand how to do um how to calculate how many brigands you're going to fight how to win each fight how many people do you take off oh yeah you got to remember that when you win a fight against the brigand they go they you know they cut in half rounded down 
There's just so many little nuanced things that just you know, I, easy to I, not I forget. I think it could be done. I think it could be done with with keeping it relatively easy as long as you are like you're letting you're delegating the tower of like figuring out how many brigands by random chance are calculated by the tower and the uh the amount of troops you have you're already keeping count of on your own so a, a simple a, like just i think mixing i think what, mixing, how many dice you roll as a result of that i think is, mixing dice plus tower would make it more complex in my opinion i think you have to kind of either go full like easy um like uh full explanation of mechanics with a simpler mechanism like dice or you go full this way where you lose visibility and you let you let this handle the complexity but it just depends on who you're serving so again if you're serving um the younger crowd that you don't think they're going to be able to pick up on all the complexity of like reading a rule book then i think they need to get something like this um and i don't know yeah so this is for 10 and up so like I don't think that if you and it and it's a Milton Bradley game, so think about their audience too. Like I think Milton Bradley was probably thinking, how do we capitalize on the D and D type games, making it accessible for our target demographic, which is ten and up, um, while still holding a lot of the cool story elements of D and D games, like all the different things you can do, all the interactions. Um, and I guess this is what came out of it is that you know we we want to keep all those things. But if we did it the way D&D does it, then we're going to have to bump the age up to like 15, 16 or something, you know. So I think that's where it came to the decision that, yeah, we're going to get we're making D&D light. You know, they're not going to get all everything up front and clear, but they just have to trust that the, the tower is doing the crunching for them. So I understand where you're coming from. I understand it. I guess um, I'll save I'll save my final thoughts for sort of the uh, the review when we're ready to put numbers on it. Um Oh, well, we got to see what everybody else is what else saying we about this bad boy. Ah, here we go. Here's my favorite. This is by Fribian, who says, I will never buy it, but I want to check it out a little closer for the fun of it. <laughs> That's <pretty> good. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to check it out a little closer. I don't know if he's saying that he wants to like try and play it a little bit with a friend or, or something like that, or maybe go to a little bit of window shopping, but can't commit to the buy. Very, very hesitant to do so. Uh, let's see here. I think I have one here from Gamer Stew. I like his review here. Gamer Stew says, Nostalgia. I remember it fondly, but I have plenty of better things to do with my time nowadays. Seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Seven out. That, that, that reminds me of another one that I read that said that this was, uh, it's, it's fun, but a very, very long game. Um, I think that was Scott in JN. I've got uh, one from um, this guy, Clottermilk. He gave it a five and a mm -hmm. half. Um, by today's standards, a, a painfully simple game. Nostalgia certainly drives some interest, as does the novelty of the tower. Um, it's still an entertaining, lightweight game to play every now and then. So I think yeah, some man. people maybe feel that, yeah, they, they didn't, you know, it's simple because they just kind of follow the rules uh, of, of the box. And again, that's the kind of trade-off I guess they're making, but... Um, but yeah, I think for, for the most part, it's probably like, you know, you're an eighties kid, He-Man's on TV, your parents come up with a new board game and fantasy is like super cool at the time. And this is it, you know? Um, and it's like kind of got some new, new tech with the tower. So I think that's probably, that probably drives a lot of people's opinion of the game as well. To, uh, to Thomas's review just a second ago, I think the playtime is a little bit inaccurate on this. It says 90 minutes, but I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe with multiple playthroughs, you'll get a nice quick system going but it, it felt like we were not on any sort of pace that would ever result in a 90 yeah yeah it did felt maybe a two special. hour but because because you know it took us 30 40 minutes just to find the first key in the first zone mm -hmm. and maybe like i i don't know it's possible that the peg pegasus mechanic could really speed things up when you find one and use it properly yeah but, but you only get to, it's a one use thing so mm -hmm. i don't know Maybe. It's a one-use thing, and then also towards the end of the game, when after you get all four keys and you go back to your your, it also has sections of the game that are padded out, like trying to guess the correct form, <laughs> the like we the correct order the of the key. Yeah, we okay. Let's talk about the riddle real quick. <laughs> one thing that we didn't talk about was at the end of the game, after you've gone through and you've collected all three keys, you've wandered around the kingdom aimlessly long enough that you manage to get all three keys. You have to return to your kingdom. You have the chance to collect some more troops at your citadel before you go and you fight the Dark Tower. And once you finally walk up to the Dark Tower, you have to, and this is required, 
you have to choose bronze key, silver key, or gold key in the right order, right? So it could be bronze, gold, silver, or it could be gold, silver, bronze. And if you get it wrong, you have to wait an entire turn cycle before you're able to try again. And this is this combined with the this the, is called the riddle of the keys. Just, yeah, this is just, the riddle of the keys. This riddle. combined with the, the finding of the keys where you're not allowed to leave a territory until you find the key, until you've gone to the tombs or the, the ruins or you've wandered around long enough until you find it. This this makes it the fourth dice based per the fourth instance of dice based purgatory in this game. Yeah. The fourth time that your your progress has been stopped, not because of you, but because of like random chance you didn't quote unquote pull the card or roll the right number so mm, sorry you're gonna have to yeah, wait a little that bit mechanic's long. bad and, and there's like no, there's no i don't think there's any argument about i mean it, it, it comes out of nowhere um i think there's what you basically can try up to it'll be like maximum six turns i think um to sure. get everything right if you kept me- messing right. it up so yeah not not fun at all i'm gonna i'm gonna jump into this and add some numbers to my review so yeah. Earlier, Jeff said that it's all about the immersion. You keep stuff in the tower so that, you know, you're not having to bust out the dice and break the immersion. Here's my problem. I don't want to be immersed in this game. There are so (laughs) many instances of dice-based purgatory that make this such a brutal slog to get to the end where you're constantly going back. This is, this is like, it's a, it's a war of attrition. I feel like, I feel it's like Pickett's charge in the civil war. Like you're just walking <laughs> across a field, losing troops left and right. And then when you when you're about to go to a new area, you got to go and you got to restock up on troops. You got to go to the sanctuary. You got to go try and you have to wander around aimlessly or go to ruins aimlessly, whatever your choice is, whatever you choose to do, whether you choose to wander around in the plains or go to the tombs, you are still burning time until the computer feels like giving you a key. You can't see how it works. You can't see the number of deck cards that are left in the deck, so to speak. So that makes the process of waiting even more agonizing, right? It's not like, okay, I'm making a little bit of progress here. It's all stuck inside this little black box. While that is impressive, and while I will give this game credit for being a 1981 game that has this very cool centerpiece, this very gimmicky centerpiece, and I do like the gimmick. That's probably the main reason that I'm not going to just absolutely... devastate this as far as score wise goes is because i really do appreciate the work that it went into creating this uh this engine and like like jeff and garrett said it is an engine but it's a really really bad one uh in my opinion i think it does some things right but for everything that it does right it makes the it makes the game very long very arduous and i don't know it it makes it almost pointless in the the idea that you have to there's so much backtracking back and forth and and all while while it is fun to watch uh watch the numbers blip on the screen and to see your uh, <laughs> your troops just mysteriously start dying or they're going to make a comeback i feel like that the uh i i feel like that even though that we're we're trying to make the tough decision as to whether or not we should put that mechanic completely in the tower or we should try and make it more inclusive by having uh, more dice I actually did a little bit of Googling. The other game that was in Teddy's basement that I was trying to come up with a name for uh, was called Heroes Quest. Uh, And it does have dice based into it. And it is by Milton Bradley as well. So they've done this. It came out in 89, so a couple of years later. But they eventually started to involve a little bit more dice based and they upped the the sort of mechanics that are at play in different board games. But... I sort of digress. If, if I had to give this a score, I would probably give this maybe a four out of ten. It's a, That's higher than I thought you were going to give it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of like I'm thinking back to my high school days, and you know, I, I take a take a calculus class, and I'd look at the answer, I'd look at the answer I got, and then I check the back of the book to see if I got the right answer, and I'd always be like. Ah, oh, no, this is this is close. Oh, if I just divide by two, I get the right answer. And I'm not doing the correct math. I'm just like, yeah, it's it's about half of what I would have gotten anyway. I feel like Thomas has got the right answer, but he hasn't reached the right. Uh, he hasn't taken the right path to get to the correct conclusion. So if I'm like checking over his math, I'm like, I have no idea how you got this answer. But I do agree with all of those with all of, with the outcome of this is it's it's too muddied. It's too 
obfuscated like all the stats and all the the randomness that's going on behind the scenes is is not fun to slog through as you're just aimlessly wandering throughout the desert that being said and this is not to to give any points to it on the gameplay criterion but like you can directly trace kind of like the Ameritrash games that are, you know, the story, the theme based games, like they're playing music in this game. They're, they've got pictures, they've got this dark tower, they've got, um, you know, the fantasy setting. It, they've, they've taken D and D and moved it to a simplified system. And I, I have to give it so much credit for, for attempting to do it, you know, even where they came short on so many areas. Um, I think this was a really, really cool thing to, to at least check out. And it's, it's not fun to play. You know, I mean, even going back into the eighties, you were, there were game. you know, if you look at card games like spades and, you know, hearts and, and anything like that bridge, you, you have input randomness versus output randomness and, and input randomness found feels so much better as a player where you're given this random starting condition and then you have to figure out how to navigate it versus output randomness where you're just like, you're pushing a button and i might lose i don't know what's gonna come out let's see (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and it just it feels so much better to have a little bit of control um and there's a little bit in this you can build up your armies there's some cool stuff with like track stat tracking and and whatnot and i and i really do appreciate that but i think thomas is absolutely correct and that actually playing this it's just not fun you're just like aimlessly wandering around it's cool it's it's novel it's it's neat to look at but when you're playing it, it's, it's really just not fun. Maybe, maybe if you're, and maybe there's a little bit of hindsight bias with this, but like, maybe if you're a little kid, you could have fun just like adventure role playing. But yeah, I don't know. There's, there's it too much of it is just, Oh, let's see what happens. Oh, Was there a story Darn. to this game, Garrett? Like, is there actually like a page in the rule book that talks yeah. about the story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's not super deep. You don't get like character names, but you're, trying to claim the scepter in the dark tower. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't remember it all, but yes, there's, there's a little bit of story in here. Um, so while if, you know, if, if I'm grading this on like the, the, the scope of like what this did for board games, I, I, you know, I'd grade it very, very highly kind of what's up in the board game geek average, but as a game itself, like even for its time, even taking into account what games were in the eighties, you know, comparing it to monopoly and whatnot, I, I don't know. I'd still, I'd still get, I'd still bore, get bored with this and maybe five playthroughs. So I'm, I'm going to go right where, right where Tom is here. I'm going to give this a four out of 10. Which leaves me. So, um, you know, I think that from a thematic perspective, um, I found that they probably over index on that. And because of that, they probably traded off some, you know, the, the game, you know, fantasy at that time was, super complex right i mean you look at you look at the hobbit you look at um (laughs) you look at all the tolkien series you look at all the different fantasy games you look at dnd i mean you know the the allure of that was it it was just so deep um but it's hard to translate that into gameplay i think uh you know the there's balancing issues there's um how you convey that in the game i think in this case it was you know their biggest fault was they couldn't trim any of the mechanics uh they wanted to keep in to still capture that element of of fantasy so i have to give it points for theme um because i I feel like they they were trying really hard to do that now like i agree that if you know if they would have just made it hey this is like you know let's just simplify it because it's a game for kids or let's make it on the other on the other end of the spectrum let's make it you know completely complex but maybe we gear towards adults and we get rid of the tower um, I think that that would have been better instead of trying to mix and do the two. Um, I'm okay with letting you in this case, you know, because of the era, I'm okay with having, um, them try, you know, them let the player make a, a ton of player choices, right? I, I think there's very few roll and move games where there's so many things that you can do when you do them. There's not much that you do to like process those things, but like you can go and do a bunch of different things in this game, which I think is kind of neat. Um, I will also say that, um, you know, obviously you know, there is a trade-off here. It's it's a complex game. Uh, if you wanted to make it less complex and get rid of the get rid of the tower, you could. Um, I have to again nod it for being the first, probably one of the earliest ones, to add an electronic component to their gameplay. 
Um, and so that, you know, people can look back and say, maybe that wasn't a great idea. We should probably do one or the other. Um, <laughs> and then I think that the biggest issue that I have with this game, and you guys have talked about it in a couple different ways, is it feels like a slog, mostly because there's so many like unimpactful moves uh, like in between, like I would be okay if I got wrecked every turn, <laughs> you know, cause we played games like that, like a lot of hold on games, but yeah, but what I hate about this game is what Thomas mentioned is when you're wandering and you're moving, like a lot of times nothing happens or you fight through this, you go into the tomb, nothing happens. Or you go into the tomb and you fight this big battle, nothing happens. Like, I think if they would have got rid of that, like this game would have been so much better. And even if you just changed that and not change anything else, I think this game would have been that much better. You would have felt like you were moving towards doing something. I felt, I, I was hoping that there, like, if every turn meant something would change on your player board, like you gained or lost something uh, or you, you know something happened from the story, I think that would have made the, the game a lot better, not even changing the, the tower, not even changing some of the other stuff. So. Um, I am going to score it a little bit higher than you guys. I'm just going to give it one point higher and put it at a five. Um, you know, I really appreciate what this game is for the era. I don't think it's super fun. I felt like it was kind of a slog. I felt like a couple of small tweaks would have made it better. I felt like the theme was really great. Awesome. Well, well that go. brings the Rough Draft Boys average to 4.33. Board Game Geek has this at a 6.8. That is astounding, uh, considering that's up there with the likes of, like, you know, good games yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think it's i think it's a lot of nostalgia oh, totally i think it's yeah. people playing it you know when they were a kid and they think about it and they remember how awesome what did it pokemon was. get 5.8 yeah i mean like pokemon isn't a 5.8 game in my opinion and no, you know it got right. points for nostalgia as well so yeah. that's based off 1.2 thousand ratings uh just for the record the kickstarter of return to dark tower raised over four million dollars oh my four geez. million four million fifty four thousand dollars uh twenty three thousand people twenty three thousand six hundred sixty one backers for that so it's uh, a huge release uh people are looking forward to the sequel so we'll we'll see how that goes I'm, it yeah. looks a lot better it looks a lot more i'm hoping they also better. uh make the lands a little different i would like like that was another thing that i didn't mention is like all the, the quadrants dragon. are the exact same whether it's the green land the purple the blue land the red land it's just your character pond color um but they like do. they're all the exact same even the buildings are in the same spots i think um, I, I believe they did. I'm not 100. percent I, I know they upgraded like the actual tiles that you move on to. So, I we didn't even bring this up in the in the, the dragons, but yeah. But there's a there's an issue where like you can put a dragon down and block people's pathway, but you can't put it down on any. You can only put it down on empty spaces. But basically, spaces are touching so many other spaces that they're all adjacent for the the purposes of moving so it really just doesn't matter you can you can go around the dragon without any bother whatsoever it does so. make you take more turns but like that's all that's always a cheap mechanic to me like if it's not in this case it it feels like it is a race but it's not like every turn you're gonna get something because there's chance in it um so like you know even if you do make someone take an extra turn it doesn't feel like that's gonna ruin them or make them fall but it, it's extremely extremely hard to make someone take an extra turn um, yeah i i was looking at the board there's like a handful of spots you can put it to where it would actually block somebody otherwise right. you can just you can just go, go the other way the yeah left versus turns. right yeah right but anyways, that's our thoughts. That's uh, what Board Game Geek has to say. Uh, by the way, if you want a copy of this, expect to shell out at least three hundred dollars on like eBay uh, to to get a copy of this. It is it is very hard to find. There are people dedicated to fixing the the computer that's within, uh, and obviously, like I said, about forty forty five dollars on top of that price to get it shipped. So Gosh. very very expensive. I looked into this many many times to get this on the show and you know obviously i was i was uh very dis disheartened to find the the price of this but i was glad we, we pulled it up on tabletop so all rise backers you Sorry, know what we're spending our money on we bought 50 <laughs> yeah. copies of dark tower and uh you guys aren't going to get a copy of all rise so sorry that's right sorry about that whoops yeah and, and you can tell that you know there's obviously a pretty staunch following uh, of this game if you look at the kickstarter page they um their minimum pledge to get a copy of the game is 125 and you know that coupled with twenty three thousand backers is the reason why they hit four million. I mean, that's insane. 
Bravo. I mean, that that does look like a, a very beautifully sculpted dark tower in the center. Is it electronic? That's what I want to know. I think they went... It, it, it's, well, so it's got sensors and stuff in there, Ooh, so neat. it knows what you're putting into the tower, but it, it all is tracked on an app, so you have to have your phone to do it. So it's not like you're putting a computer I think that's a there. nice nod. You know, like, they could have gone full analog, and I think it would have been a, a great game still, uh, or obviously, obviously a better game than the original. Um, right. But I think they probably did that because it was a nod to the original. Mm. And, and that makes sense. Now, now that you mentioned that, um, I think the $125 price tag, while still expensive, still like makes a bit more sense. Right. All right. Well, there you go, gang. I guess we're just going to have to shell out and get this one and uh, we'll have to see if it's uh, sort of improved uh, with, the, with the mechanics. But... Man, uh, we we gotta implement our own electronic uh, gimmick piece. Into a I think we just have a something in our in all rise. It just says objection or get out of my courtroom. I think that's. <laughs> it's like the easy button. You just smash it. Order in the court. Order in the court. Order in the court. Bailiff, arrest. We should have added that as an add-on or a stretch goal. <laughs> it should be a very specific line that would only be said in certain circumstances. <laughs> like, so you didn't an industrial-sized cheese grater? Come on! <laughs> That's it. This piece of evidence again. That's great. Oh, my God. Too bad. Terrible. Terrible. Opportunity well, missed. if you would like to give us any sort of uh, ideas or suggestions on how we can implement an electronic piece of equipment into our next board game, you can hit us up on Twitter at Rough Draft Games. If you want to order us a game off of eBay, like Dark Tower, uh, send the confirmation email to roughdraftgames.gmail.com. We will also take game suggestions there. Uh, if you got any good print and plays, rolling rides, anything that we can play easily over webcam, or you found something, something cool on Tabletop Simulator, good mod, we'd be happy to check that out as well. That's our email address, roughdraftgames.gmail.com. And if you're searching for the riddles of the three keys, come on over to roughdraftgames.com. We, uh, one of the keys might be All Rise, the game that we just mentioned on the, that we've kickstarted and backed. Uh, you can come in later on to check out how you can purchase an additional copy. Another key might be maybe reading some of the thematics that we have. Who knows? Um, you know, if you're really interested in more games around uh, themed around fantasy, you might find something there. And then the last key is probably other episodes of Roll and Move. If you didn't like this episode or you wanted to check out more um, or different episodes, come on over and check that out. I won't tell you which combination you should probably uh, do those three, but I would say, you know, just mix it up. And do whatever you want. And lastly, but certainly not least, uh, for all of those, for all of you who have gone to iTunes and given us five stars on our podcast, we greatly appreciate it. It helps us so much in their search algorithm. It helps us help other people find what we're doing here and spread the love and spread the board games and uh, enlarge in our little community here. And if you haven't done so, we would greatly appreciate it if you did go to iTunes and give us five stars and perhaps leave us a review. We've actually had a couple people reach out to us from uh, a previous game that we did on Tabletop Simulator, uh, and uh, it's been fun talking with those guys. You want to tell? Should we give them a little nod, Gare? We might have some new fans out of that. I don't know. The creators of the Tabletop Simulator mod cosplay girlfriend reached out, and uh, we they they said they've polished it up, and they they may have a final version coming soon. So we may have to revisit that. We may have to see what they have to say. Tell us what we got wrong. Why the Bone Zone wasn't that bad after all. So we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned for that. Oh, absolutely. Nice revisit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's the remastered edition. I think they raised, like, what was it, $3 million on Kickstarter, right? <laughs> for, the, for the cosplay girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, was, I, think, I think it was. I think that was all from the uh, the sumps that were donating, but who knows. <laughs> One waifu per back. <laughs> so stay tuned for that episode, but until then, we'll see you next time.